We're recording. So today I wanna to thank both of you for being with, with us today. Today we have Dr. Williams Brown and Dr. Barry Roberts to talk about cervical cancer screening. Thank you both for being here today. And let me start with you, Dr. Williams Brown. Would you just let people know who you are, what you do? Great, thank you, Dr. Hutchinson. This has been an excellent opportunity. So my name is Yvette Williams-Brown. I'm a gynecologic oncologist. And so I specialize in cancers of the female reproductive tract. So that would be cancers involving uh, organs such as the uterus, cervix, ovaries, fallopian tube, vagina, vulva. So usually any type of cancers that can occur in a female from the waist down. Perfect. And Dr. Barry Roberts, let us hear about you. Sure. I'm Dr. Crystal Barry Roberts. I'm an OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecology uh, doc with Austin Regional Clinic. And uh, delighted to be here and delighted to be here with my colleague, Yvette, and um, looking forward to our conversation. Perfect. So cancer screening is so important. And we've seen over this last year just how important it is to take care of ourselves. We also know with COVID that a lot of people put off some of those routine things. Dr. Roberts, Barry Roberts, would you start by telling people, what, what do you tell your patients about why they should get cerebral cancer screening? Right. I think um, just having the patients understand that their vaginal health, cervical health, that um, it's, it's important. And for a lot of women, you know, the last time maybe they had a pap smear done was when they gave birth to their last child 15 years ago or 10 years ago. And um, sometimes women's health and their well being gets kind of summarized as far as how well did they do labor and childbearing. Um, but when, even during that time, but more, more importantly after that, it's kind of the basic. A way to make sure that there's not something silently happening that is uh, oftentimes preventable, treatable, or at least uh, can be handled in a way to reduce long-term risks, um, you know, from um, abnormal cells on the cervix. So I try and help them see the bigger picture and how it fits into their overall health. Perfect. And maybe I need to back up a little bit. Dr. Williams-Brown, can you explain what cervical cancer screening is? What actually happens to women? Yes. So with cervical cancer screening, what the clinician is doing is doing one of two things. So one, they'll be either collecting a sample of cells that are in the cervix um, and coming from the vagina with like a brush or some other type of collecting device. It's usually not very painful. Um, and then another way to test for cervical cancer or to screen for cervical cancer is to look for the most common cause of cervical cancer, which is HPV. And that can also be collected in the same manner that a pap smear or a pap test can be collected, or it can be collected through swabs um, in some ways, uh, similar to um, how some people would even insert, say, like a tampon, but it's usually not a very common way of being uh, screened, but are different ways to actually collect HPV. Perfect. Now, my specialty is adolescent medicine. I take care of young people and young women up to 25. And the recommendations changed. When I started, it was, it was 21. And now it's, it's older. Can you talk about the young and the old? What ages should they start? 
and how old, what age do you stop or do you ever stop? Okay, was that for me? I just wanted to yes. clarify. Okay, great, thanks. So um, that's a very good point, as you pointed out, you know, the guidelines can change and can be very confusing. I think even for a lot of clinicians, it's, it's confusing. So depending on um, which entity you are, are following, um, there are a couple of things you can um, uh, uh, follow. So the most common one, or at least the one that we're currently usually going under is that starting at age 21, depend, uh, irrespective of whether or not you've initiated that uh, intercourse or not, um, to begin screening with usually a pap test where um, that's just the uh, collection of the cells to look for any abnormalities. That can then continue every three years until the age of 30. And then at age 30, then there's the option of then continuing, which is collecting those abnormal cells every three years or, or collecting uh, cells looking for abnormal cells every three years or at adding the HPV test, which is looking for that HPV virus starting at age 30, and you can then extend the timing or the um, interval of screening to five years because it's a much more sensitive test to look for the actual cause of cervical cancer. But most people then can then discontinue pap screening at age 65, but the caveat here, and this is very important, only if you've had adequate screening for the last 10 years is it possible to stop screening for uh, cervical cancer at 65. So many times people are confused by that as if it's a hard stop at 65 where you just stop getting pap tests. But I've had so many people who have been diagnosed with cervical cancer after the age of 65 because people, you know, they're healthcare provider said, oh, you're 65, you don't need pap tests anymore. But if you've only had one test when you were childbearing age, as Dr. Barry Roberts said, or a couple, you know, whenever you had your child in your 30s, you know, 20s or 30s, that's not considered adequate screening. So these types of cancers can develop over 10 to 15 years once you've been exposed to the common cause, which is HPV, and so a person may not even be sexually active and can still actually have cervical cancer, even though they may not have any type of a sexual contact in 10, 15, 20 years. Perfect. Dr. Barry Roberts, as you add on to any thoughts about the age, can you also add on to how you approach different patients at different ages when you give this recommendation? Sure. I think, um, dispelling the belief that when you see it, especially just doing uh, gynecology, um, dispelling the belief when I have patients come in, maybe the primary goal is to talk about their irregular periods or painful periods and they're 16, 18, 19. And they come to that visit often with the fear that I'm going to talk about the pap smear or at least do it that day. And so they're oftentimes in the wait in the exam room, very anxiously waiting because they just know pap smear is gonna happen, it's gonna happen. So I see that um, kind of um, misinformation out there among my younger patients. And so I think putting their mind at ease that we do start to have the conversation about when cervical cancer screening is appropriate and educating them. And oftentimes they're 
their mother or caregiver um, on that start age of 21, pretty much across the board um, with a uh, few exceptions, especially with it not being based on whether they are sexually active at that time or not. And so I try and approach those patients with um, a level of understanding before I walk in the room and immediately trying to put their minds at ease. And then if we look at the extreme of that, uh, the other end of the, not extreme, uh, my, uh, my older and wiser patients would like me, not like me to use the word extreme, but in though my um, 65 or approaching age 65, beginning to have that conversation about, are they comfortable? with stopping the screening. And I think it's kind of, it, I oftentimes we compare it to mammogram screening and a lot of patients struggle with whether or not, you know, again, they've had that adequate testing, whether or not they're comfortable with discontinuing because they meet age 65 and, and having the misunderstanding uh, sometimes that it is a hard stop. And I think it's um, my goal as their provider to have some dialogue about that and help them reach a decision that they can be comfortable with. Great. Thank you both so much for those answers. Let me shift a little bit to, because you're screening, it means sometimes you're gonna get positive results. Sometimes you're going to actually find cancer. Can you share, and we'll start with you, Dr. Barry Roberts, how do you share the news? How do you explain to a patient when you found something that either needs to be retested or that is serious? What's your approach to the patient who doesn't have a normal screen? Sure. Um, I think first and uh, foremost that um, I find it, I make it a priority to have a direct conversation with that patient. That is information that the patient should receive from me. Uh, depending on my relationship with that patient, how long she's been a patient of mine, sometimes it's something that I feel comfortable we can have a phone conversation about for someone who I may not be um, as familiar with or as long-term uh, GYN care provider for them, I may, may bring them back into the office. And then we do have telemed being used uh, more often these days uh, since, since COVID. And so I use those avenues either way to have a very personal conversation and begin to talk to them about the screening result. It is not diagnostic, but it does raise a suspicion enough that we do need to do something more. Um, to obtain tissue, um, a, a, a concrete diagnosis, and began to talk her through what that process may look like. Great. And Dr. Williams-Brown, with your specialty, I imagine by the time a patient comes to see you, they've already at least been told that everything is, the screen is not normal. Um, but can you share your approach for patients, either you're the first one telling them or you are the specialist that they've been sent to? Sure. So um, many times, as Dr. Barry Roberts mentioned, the screening test is usually an indication that additional testing needs to be done. And many times that's already um, completed by the time they're then referred to a specialist. And so that would involve taking a closer look at the cervix and taking um, a biopsy of the sample of usually the outside and inside portion of the cervix. And so if a patient then is diagnosed with cancer based on that information, then that's usually the point at which I see them. And I try to reassure patients that, you know, part of the reason why screening is, is in place is that so that we can actually catch these cancers, especially if patients have no symptoms, that usually is a very favorable sign that it is actually doing its job in the sense that we've caught it early enough to where it is treatable and it's still possible for cure. So um, I, I try to reassure patients that um, 
even though there are other steps in the process to determine the extent of how much cancer there uh, may be, um, but that there is treatment available and that we will work together to find the treatment plan that works best for her. Thank you. Both of you really emphasize the importance of that relationship and communication. And that's part of what we're doing today. We want to help people understand how important it is to, to talk to your doctor, to ask questions. But there's also the importance of prevention too. So Dr. Williams-Brown, what can you, advice can you give to the people listening, watching that they can do to improve their health to prevent even pre pre to prevent progressing to diseases and to and progressing to cancer? What can they do beforehand? That's an excellent question. I think the single most important thing people can do to prevent cervical cancer is to get vaccinated. And for some people, they may have been pat, they may have gone past the age where um, they're recommended to be vaccinated. So for the HPV vaccine, which um, encompasses nine HPV variants or HPV types that um, also includes um, protection against common warts and high-risk types of HPV that are most commonly um, associated with the development of cervical cancer and also other HPV-related cancers. That's recommended to give to boys and girls at age nine, I'm sorry, age 11 and 12. You can start it as early as nine and it can be given up to age 26. There are some people where you can actually give this up to the age of 45, depending on their particular situation. But that has been one of the single most important things in terms of helping to prevent these cancers. For secondary prevention, of course, there still is screening in the form of the pap test as mentioned before, as well as doing HPV testing. And depending on the age of the person um, and also the results of their prior screening would then determine the frequency of how often those need to be done. But for sure, um, you know, definitely the takeaway for anybody who can still get vaccinated, definitely get the HPV vaccine. It is cancer prevention. And for anyone who has children in that age range, it's extremely important for people to understand that vaccinating their children is helping to prevent something that could potentially be deadly. Not, you know, sometimes people think that it is, you know, licensed to, you know, be promiscuous, which is very just erroneous. I'm sure as you know, Dr. Hutchinson, but, you know, you, you, you treat uh, adolescents, but, you know, this is an extremely important thing for people to know that, you know, unfortunately I've seen so many people, you know, die of this disease and it's so preventable, especially just from something as simple as, as getting a shot. Yes, I, I have to echo exactly what you said. And one thing that's been helpful when I talk to parents who insist that their children are not sexually active and, and won't be anytime soon, is I say, that's fantastic. Keep having those conversations. But because your child makes good choices doesn't necessarily mean that their partner will make the same good choices. So it's important that we get as many people vaccinated as possible. Dr. Bear Roberts, do you have anything to add to prevention or to vaccines that you that you tell your patients? I think uh, having conversations with them, you know, also about uh, like so just um, intimate intimate partner behavior, sexual behavior, um, and 
parents are oftentimes looking for that right time to make the transition from maybe um, a pediatrician care of an 18 year old to a GYN caring for their 18 year old. And I use it as an opportunity in those types of visits to start that conversation about protecting herself when and if she chooses to become sexually active for kind of that added uh, reason of protecting the one body that she has against being exposed to this virus. Because like, like you said, um, uh, Jeff, she has no control over what the partner um, is doing or has done in, in their past that could put her at risk in the future. Perfect. So as we get close to, to wrapping up, I always like to leave listeners with actionable items, things that they can do, things that you wish that they would, that they could hear from you, things that you tell your patients all the time. So let me just open it up and, and share with the audience things that you say regularly, things that you want them to know about cervical cancer that we may not have touched on yet. And let's start with you, Dr. Barry Roberts. Most of my conversations um, try and stem around helping them see their visit, their annual visit, their well woman visit as inclusive of cervical cancer screening, discussions about the HPV or human papilloma vaccine if they haven't gotten it, but also helping them see and understand not to confuse the guidelines with how often they should be screened with how often they should see me as their gynecologist. And I think that has been a, a real a challenge um, because they'll say, hey, you know, I got my pap smear done. I'm good, I don't need to see you for three years. But because this can be a silent uh, occurrence in that time that she doesn't see me, maybe her behaviors have changed. Maybe she's uh, been, you know, I've had patients get divorced, have new partners. I've had, um, you know, changed relationships. And with that comes potential exposure for a strain of HPV that they didn't have the last time they saw me and I did screening for them. The idea is that yes, we will capture them as long as they're being consistent in that every three to five year screening uh, recommendation, but it gives an opportunity to identify some things that may be increasing their risk. And that is part of that yearly well woman annual visit. Um, and not to mention the exam and other things that I can find um, potentially that will make for just overall adequately addressing her health, full body. Good, so I can't emphasize that enough. Women should be seen by their gynecologists or primary care doctor at least every year. So great point. Dr. Williams-Brown, what would you add to the conversation that we haven't discussed yet? I would just add that women should be aware of any changes in terms of their health of their body particularly any abnormal bleeding. So specifically that would be bleeding in between any regular periods. And for some women, they may have irregular periods. And if that is the case, that is definitely something they should be talking to their healthcare provider about. For um, other people, if they have bleeding outside of times they would expect it, such as during intercourse or when urinating, and also um, anytime a woman has already gone through menopause and they experience any type of bleeding, it doesn't really matter whether it seems like it's on time or not, or having a regular pattern, that is always a reason to seek um, consultation from a healthcare provider because any bleeding after you've stopped having regular periods is definitely a red flag that something is happening that, that is not normal. Sometimes it doesn't always mean cancer, 
but it definitely is a sign that something needs to be checked out. Great. So if I were to summarize that, I'd say, listen to your body. You have to really pay attention to any changes. Good. So there's some women and we have to be real. There's some women who don't have access to healthcare very easily. And we often will go to trusted sources to get information. Do you two have any sources that you recommend women can start with um, possibly before they go see their doctor and ones that they should absolutely stay away from uh, before they see someone? Well, I would just like to say that and when it comes to cervical cancer screening, especially here in Texas and in other places as well, there are programs that are available for women who may not have insurance or who are underinsured to at least obtain sort of basic screening when it comes to things like cervical cancer. And for people who have a diagnosis of cervical cancer, they may also have um, access to treatment. Um, whether that is surgery or whether that is something more extensive like radiation or chemotherapy through a Medicaid program. So there are resources available for patients who may not have, um, you know, traditional private insurance. And Dr. Barry Roberts, do you have any resources you'd like to recommend? Um, And I think for the underinsured or uninsured patient, you know, there, and we saw this, you mentioned it earlier with um, women putting their, their health or appointments on hold over the past year, especially, that it is okay to see um, one of our, you know, distinguished and very replicable community care types of facilities, um, people's clinics, um, if that is necessary, or university clinic or resident clinic, just to continue with that um, GYN screen, the cervical cancer screening and continued care, even in between lack of private insurance or, or, or just changes with financial situations that um, if there is any question about it, I always encourage my patients to reach out to me. Hey, you can't see me this year. What's going on? I haven't seen you in two and a half years. It's time. And I do try and help the patients navigate. I don't have a particular website or anything in my mind at the moment to direct them to, but I think there are enough, you know, um, qualified service centers out there in clinics that skipping years at a time just should not be happening and ask the questions and and seek out an opportunity to have your needs met. Perfect. I wanna thank you both so very much. Dr. Williams Brown, Dr. Barry Roberts, you've been fantastic. And I'm sure that all those listening will appreciate it. Um, For those of you who are interested in partnering with the um, ABPA, the Association for Black Physicians, uh, please, look to our website, please contact us. We are happy to hear from you, happy to answer all your questions. And again, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you so much.